This conversation was recorded on January 7, 2017. So, you've many times taught on the salvation of the soul. I have. We haven't directly addressed it on this show. We talk around it. How about We that? dance around it, if you will. Okay. But if you had to uh, teach it today to me. Yes. Right here. You were going to give your best rendition ever. How would it go and what would it, what would it sound like? Okay. Well, that's a good question. I mean, if I was going to give my best rendition ever, I would do some preparation work instead of getting <laughs> kicked out at all. So. so, I'm setting you up for failure then? So, you did set me up to not do my best rendition okay, ever. Okay. So, the best can, one you can do off the cuff. As you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do some writing about my life. Right. right? And one of the chapters of that writing is called The Salvation of the Soul. It's one of the important doctrines of my life, and I think it's one of the important doctrines that I bring to the table for uh, Christians to consider. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay. Verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you entirely. So this is called by uh, doctrinally, uh, by many, entire sanctification. Because he says sanctify you entirely. Yeah, because he says the word entire. And um, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or entirely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. So under the coming of the Lord. Under the coming of the Lord, yeah. Uh, under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful, faithful is he that calls you who also will do. So this is now in the context of the setting apart. Sanctify you means to set you apart. Mm-hmm. But there's also this word entirely or wholly, which has to do with completion. Not just completion, but to preserve all without losing part. The whole thing. The whole the, the entire the whole thing which the whole of three things. It's holy but not H O L Y. It's whole it's as a W H O L L Y thing. And then it says, I pray God your whole spirit. So first we have this word holy, and then we have, which is, by the way, a rare word, and then we have your whole spirit. And that's a, both those references are similar root words there, the holy and whole. Yes, they are, and they're they're, uh, similar uh, root words in in the original language as well. So this has to do with... Being kept entire. Together. As if not flaked off or not chiseled off or not parted out or not being fined, we could say. You know, if you have a a whole lump of money and then you get danged here and there with fines and so forth, then it's not whole anymore. It's just part. Yeah. 
people who owe money even say things like, how can we make you whole? That's exactly right. Yeah. It's in that vein that we find this statement, and then it says, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless, so that blamelessness and being kept entire, each of three parts is is all together here. You know, the, the idea of blameless is what is whole. In other words, blamelessness equals whole preservation. Now, it says spirit, soul, and body. And by the way, uh, you can suffer spiritual loss, you can suffer soul loss or life loss, and you can suffer body loss. Like your foot gets chopped off? Lose an arm, right? Yeah. Lose your health. Your body's not being well-preserved that way, but, of course, uh, and that happens. And and Paul wishes that the entire, your entire person would be preserved with blamelessness. You can be spiritually to blame. You can be life-wise or soul, soulishly to blame. So when we talk about the salvation of the soul, that's in here, right? So is this is sanctification. We see the— It's not salvation. Preservation of the soul or the— Sanctification. Sanctification of the soul. Yeah. Right. So the spirit can be set apart, the soul can be set apart, the body can be set apart for God's use. But all together. But all together, yeah. There's, you know, I mean, obviously you, you, you are all three, so right. it's, you know. It's your whole it's person. All, it's yeah. disti- these things are distinguishable, but inseparable, if I might put it that way. Like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, it, it, you know, we are made in the image of God. He is tripartite. We are tripartite. Yeah. So we, ha- we, ha- we have that. We have this. Now, the question, and of course, we could turn to the book of Hebrews real quickly and find out that the Word of God is capable of d- dividing asunder soul and spirit. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know, it says that, and then you talk to people, and they'll constantly confuse spirit and soul as if they're the same thing. I hear people talking about spirit and soul as if they're Interchangeably. the same Interchangeably. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, even in the same even in the same discussion, they'll <laughs> yeah. start saying spirit and they'll switch it to soul, or they'll start saying soul and they'll switch it to spirit, like it's the exact same thing, like your spirit and your soul are the exact same thing. But that's obviously not true, right? Your soul is distinguishable from your body, and your soul is distinguishable from your spirit. That's a big differentiation. Yes, to be made. Yes, it is, and and. The word soul is the word suke. We use that in the English language. In fact, we've carried over the Greek word suke, starting with a P, and we get our word psyche, psychology out of it, and we get our word psyche out of it. I thought you were going to say sucker. Uh, suke, I don't think sucker. So. It didn't start with a P. So we we understand this thing. In fact, in modern parlance. You know, psychology or the word of the soul is predominant, predominates. It's predominated for many, many years. It's a prominent social science. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of hooey in many cases, but we have this thing called the soul. Now, now, what is it? Well, the, the scripture tells us what it's not. Your life does not consist of the things that you have. 
So it's not about your possessions. Your life is not, despite the fact that many people do think their life is about their possessions, it's not about their possessions. But one of the things that's most obvious to anyone paying attention is that your life is about, for example, time. The statement, the old saw is true, rich and poor, both wake up every day with, you know, the same amount of time that day. And so your life does consist of the amount of time you have. So the Lord tells us, you know, not to pay attention to what your life isn't, but to pay attention to what your life is. And then the life also, to be biblical, the soul has to be able to be laid down, right? The Lord says, I lay down my life. I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. He that loses his life, now he that gains his life in this world shall lose it. He that loses his life shall gain it unto life eternal. So the soul is something that can be gained or, or lost. And the way to gain your life into eternity is to lose it here. So now we have to talk about what is this gaining here and losing here Mm -hmm. about your life that defines for us what our soul actually is. If we don't know what our soul is, to talk about saving it or losing it, the salvation of it is not going to be very fruitful discussion. So your life is that bundle of product of time use. Let's just say that because your life is all the time they have. We could, we could find it right that. Now, when the Lord says lay your life down and, and, and life equals all the time you have, it makes a lot of sense to think about, well, what do I do with my time? You know, what am I going to do with my time? We all decide what we're going to do with our time. Yeah. And for the most part, what we decide to do with our time is to gain the things that have appeal to the soul. And what things have natural appeal to the soul? Sex, money, and power. Sex, money, and power. So we will find ourselves using our time, naturally speaking, instinctively we might say, using our time to gain money, sex, and power. I'm at a stage of life where I can look back and see most of my life, right? I'm not going to live another 65 years. I'm going to live eternally, but I'm not going to have my soul that I'm now sowing is not going to be another 65 years. And I look back and I can see that those three things, sex, money, and power, I spent a lot of time on that. Spent a lot of time on it. And what's interesting, by the way, as a side note, what's kind of interesting to me, and let me talk about the money part. It's the easiest part of those three to, to talk about. As I review my history, I worked really hard at numbers of things where I got robbed. I've been robbed a lot. And I've spent a lot of time working at things where money-wise, it ended up turning into nothing. Hmm. And then I see a couple other things, now this is money-wise, where I hardly did a thing, and it turned into a huge amount. Hmm. So there's, there's some you of the should frustra- do more of those and less of the other ones. 
you might say that I wasted so much time on the other ones. Right. Right? If we talk about our lives. Yeah. And you don't know that you've lost your life until it's nearly over or over. Right, because you're still living it until then. Yeah, well, you're— Or losing it. Yeah, and you're, you know, you're occupied with the things you do that take your time. And some people seize on kind of good things that are not the best things. You're like, well, family. The family is the best thing. No, it isn't. Hmm. In fact, the Lord says if you don't hate your family, compared to me, you're not worthy. So we we learn the scripture that we should lay our life down. We learn the scripture that we should take up our cross and follow him. It's not a big leap to say those are the same things. Laying your life down and taking your cross up, which is completely, you know, like looks opposite but isn't. Mm -hmm. Because when you lay your life down, what do you do? What are you taking up? You lay your life down, you got something to take up. And the thing that you have to take up is the cross of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then you look at, well, what was the cross like? What was that to Jesus? He was resolute. I mean, Jesus wasted no time to go to the cross, right? I mean, he was right on schedule. Yeah. He steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. Set his face toward Jerusalem. He always did those things that pleased his father. He went that way willingly, intentionally, you know, on time, on schedule. And it was a conscious, willing apprehension that what was here for him in this life, he wasn't going to get. I mean, you talk about sex, money, and power. I mean, my goodness, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a king of kings and lord of lords. All power in heaven and earth that were given to him. He exercised... None of it in the soulish sense ever. In fact, the Lord couldn't be soulish, but that, that's another that's another issue. Right. It makes me think of Moses, though, in terms of the opportunity he turned down. He turned down of king is. of the whole earth. In, in uh, Hebrews, where it says what Moses did. He, he chose to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the... Yeah. Pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews 11, or is that... uh... So what's this salvation of the soul? Well, it's tied up to me where... You'll find that, right? Yeah, I'm going to find that. You keep going. Okay, I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 3, because this was, to me, the turning point, I would say, the turning point in my Christian ministerial life, the turning point. Philippians chapter 3, which presented... A conundrum. I've talked now. We have talked about. We this have talked about times. this. Yep. But see, it does tie to the salvation of the soul, because in Philippians chapter three, Paul talks in verse eleven about what he wanted to attain to. We we already realized that that the apostle Paul was the kind of guy that laid his life down. He did go the way of the cross. He did suffer the loss of all things for the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which he says earlier in Philippians three. He says that his ambition is that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. He had thirst for that power, different power. Not the sex, money, and not the soulish power, but the spiritual power. Mm. Now, what a saved soul, what a laid down soul, what a laid down soul does is allows spiritual life to pass through the soul and into the body and animate the body. Hmm. Everything you do is in your body. You pray in your body, you sleep in your body, you eat in right. your body. There's a unfortunate Gnostic 
kind of element that occupies our thoughts, gets into our thinking. Material is evil. The body is uh, evil. This is a very anti-Christian idea. That's why the body also needs to be preserved blameless because the body is the only instrumentation, right? The image of God it is the only instrumentation that we have to use to do the will of God. You don't do the will of God except in your body. Mm-hmm. You don't suffer except in your body. You say, well, now you suffer those internal things. You can't distinguish that out of your body. You can't distinguish your spirit out of your body. You distinguish your spirit out of your body, what are you? You're dead. Right. And the spirit leaves the body, you're dead, right? That means no soul, death, and no life, or no soul. When the spirit leaves the body, the soul dies. You don't have a life anymore. And as for you, you don't have a life anymore. But back to that first Thessalonians, how could you be holy, sanctified then? I'm going to get your dead. Unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be reassembled. Your spirit, which... In the meantime, it doesn't matter because when he comes, you're going to be whole again. Exactly. Well, you're going to be you're going to be integrated spirit, soul, and body again. But will your body be whole? Will your spirit be whole? Will your will your soul be whole? Or will you have suffered loss? You see, now I take you to First Corinthians chapter three, where you find out that you know an unsuccessful Christian life is marked by loss. You could lose everything. You could lose everything that there is for you mm. in the resurrection. Except eternal life, you have that. But beyond that, what there is for you in the coming resurrection, at least for the thousand years, you have nothing. A weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the Apostle Paul had uh, this uh, drive to attain unto the out-resurrection, out from the dead, which, of course, ties to the judgment seat, which ties to whether you're going to be fined or suffer loss or not. See? And you don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to ever suffer loss, right? Right. I mean, when you start losing your life in this world, it's like an agony. You know, like it's terrible, and yet you're willingly doing it because it's the way of the cross. So the sufferings of this time are there. These are the sufferings for Christ. A willing taking up of the cross, a willing laying down of life, a willing suffering, real loss of earthly things for your soul. Sex, money, and power. You can put them all in that category. Mm-hmm. You're losing, you know, sex, you're losing money, and you're losing power. I told my wife the other day, okay, this may or may not be true, but it's, it lives in my mind. As you know, uh, from the time I was a, a young fella, I was a political being. I mean, I became political when I was, uh, how old are you, in ninth grade, 15, 14? I was a political yeah. being at 14 or 15, and I'd run for office and win. I did that in high – did you do that in high school? I ran for something, but – Lost? No, I won, but it wasn't like a – it didn't matter. It didn't matter to you? It was like student council or something. Yeah. Not the president of the student council. No, just on the student council. Just on it. Yeah, no. I don't think I put up a sign or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I was president of the student council. Yeah. So I'm not Smaller a, school. I'm not a political beast. I was a political beast. Well, kind of you are. But anyway, <laughs> we all have some of it. 
We all have some. Some of us have a bigger dose. Uh, well, we call it ambition. I mean, you have ambitions, but yeah, yours are different. My mind was to win. You know, I, well, you have ambition to win. You're a bad loser. Anyway. Yeah, but I don't participate in political You didn't give yourself competitions. to that. No. Give yourself to other competitions. Right. Because you're an extraordinarily competitive guy. Yes. Yeah. So. Within reason. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't. I disagree. Well, I don't think you're within we reason. Have it. Anyway, you're about the most competitive guy I know. Anyhow, well, your brother, your brother-in-law, between the two of you, I don't know. It's crazy. Anyhow, I got a lot of brothers-in-law, so I can never know which one you're talking about. Corey. Oh, yeah. You mean the one that I'm about to beat in the fa- the fantasy football championship? Yeah, prob- uh, but maybe not. <laughs> but probably will. Anyhow. You know, we have that. We have our ambitions. We have our goals. We have our achievements. We have, And this is all bundled up in the stuff of life to where it's a total reversal to say, I'm going to make it my ambition, like Paul says, to know the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Look what a that, – that looks insane. And, and he even says that it's foolish if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You know, I'm like the most foolish guy yeah. in the world. So he conducts this it's the foolish life. Of what he was doing before. To save his soul, because what he wants is to attain unto an accolade, unto that blamelessness that's talked about in First Thessalonians. He wants to attain unto the out-resurrection out from the dead. Now, what that requires is not only a certain manner of conduct, but it requires, first and foremost, a persistence to the end. A persistence to the end. We are not of those who draw back into perdition, but we are of those who what? To the obtaining of the soul. But uh, real quickly, I found the Moses reference in Hebrews 11. It was Hebrews 11. Yeah, I I thought it was Hebrews 11. It says, when he came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, which is what we quoted but the second part, I think, is even more poignant for this conversation. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So much like Paul there, where you know Paul wanted to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And here, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, of course, he had those treasures offered up to him on a silver platter, being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Yeah, well, I mean, not everybody has that opportunity, but yeah, but we have the, everybody has something that they esteem. <laughs> it may not be all the op- the opportunities Moses had, but but we all have our opportunities, right? We have and, our own souls to. And, and the and and the point of that is that not not just did he did he lose that opportunity, but he willingly lost that opportunity, right? He He chose chose to lose that opportunity. To suffer affliction. He chose to suffer affliction. Yeah. He he knew what the state of the people of God was. He he knew very well that these had become hated in Egypt, having formerly been prominent and favored. Right. And he he knew the whole politics of the situation because he's in Pharaoh's household. And he knew he had an opportunity. I can identify with these people or I can identify with Pharaoh. Yeah. And he chose to identify with the people of God. And he lost his life in the in the, And he in lost Pharaoh's his life. Kingdom. And every Christian has the same 
decision. They can choose to suffer affliction with the people of God and to identify, or they can distinguish themselves in the world. And by the way, it always, always comes down to this. I see people make these decisions all the time. They either decide to associate with the people of God, which is going to cost them a lot. They don't even know how much, but it's, they know it's going to cost. They don't know how much, but they know it's going to cost. Or they can associate, not disassociate with them and go the course of the opportunities that they have. Okay, it's not going to necessarily be king of the whole earth like Pharaoh. Maybe it's just going to be, you know, a supervisor job at a packing plant or something. But it costs you to identify with God's people. And if you don't know any of those costs, if you've never experienced any of those costs, you have to ask yourself, have I actually made those decisions like Moses made? Right. Now, when what I was thinking about First Peter is the war against the soul. Dearly, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the life. Mm. See the lust of the flesh? They're against you. It's a war. They war against your life. In other words, your life is under siege. You know, there's warfare going out there. The fleshly lusts are there to tear down and destroy your life. Yeah. Yeah. And God is there to, what, preserve your life, right? Not build it up exactly, but preserve your life, keep it whole, because he's got a direction for your life. Yeah. And... um, you know, I don't want to be trite. God's got a plan for your life, whatever. God has a direction for your life. He's got works for you to walk in, and there's grace for you to do that, and he's provided every element to yeah. succeed in this thing. I actually just uh, I just hop on that phrase, and I, I just use it for my own means, that God has a plan for your life. Yes. People want to hear that, and so just tell them it's true, and then just you have to make sure they know that his plan is not what your plan is. It's not is. yours. Right. Yeah. You may not like his plan at all. God has actually. a plan for your life. You, it was probably it's not as pleasant as right. you would imagine. It's actually better than your plan. It's better than your it's plan. Not, you're not going to like it. That's exactly. Yeah. So he and, does and, have a plan. In fact, you know, you say latch onto that. Here's the thing: you're not going to be able to imagine it. You're not going to be able to make it up. It's not going to match up with what you think. Right. You start reading the scriptures, and now you begin to get the inclination. In fact, you get instincts. You read the scriptures, you fill your mind with scriptures, you have instinct for the cross. You do. You have instinct for the cross. And when things come up, you go like, ah, this is the cross. Uh, this is, I'm just like Moses, right? You, you make this, you see it maybe clearly. little decisions, occasionally big ones. Right. Just like Moses, I'm not going to get that. That thing I want, I'm not going to get it mm. because I'm going to go this way. I remember when I was building my career, I worked at the at a large Fortune 100 company, actually bigger than that, yeah. top you know, 10, 20 company at that time. And uh, I had an opportunity and a knowledge that I need that I needed to exercise my capability of speaking in public i would open air preach i would go out on street corners and preach you want to you want to feel like uh the off scouring of the world just do that and um, i would go out at lunchtime and do that that was not good for my career Uh. i would come in after lunch 
and people would say, well, well, was that you I saw standing on that corner hollering? Well, you know, I would kind of make light of those questions and say, and I'd put my hand on top of my head and say, was it, was the guy this tall? Was he wearing this shirt? You know, was he mm-hmm. about this size? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was me. But mostly people didn't talk to me. They talked around me, the others. Yeah. To where you got made fun of. You got They talk about you in front of you, but not to you. Yeah, and they call you names, and they snicker and laugh. And, you know, here I was the at that time in my job performance. I was the highest-rated programmer they had in the company. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, my career was going nowhere. I wasn't getting any position at that company yeah yeah i was done probably first time i ever did it ended ended that and it's not like you don't know that it's not like it's not like you conduct yourself in a christian life in some kind of way like that and be a testimony or a witness to jesus christ and you don't realize that you're losing friends and 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 opportunities you you know that yeah today for example there's google Right, people can search and find out about you. I've got lots of stuff published, as you know. That's okay. Maybe not hit the top of your search list, but if you're looking for me, yeah. my name, right. and you want to see what I think, there's a whole website full of stuff you can read and listen to. And by the time you're done with it, if you're a up or up and comer in this world, you're gonna go. This guy's a complete nut job. This guy's one of those goofy. Bible nuts. I just and now searched, I've been a goofy I Bible your name on. Uh, I logged out to make sure it was a clear search, and the number two hit: "How to invest like billionaire John Malone for ten dollars a share." That's a different John Malone. <laughs> I, I did John Malone Omaha uh, number four is BibleStudy.net. Yeah, so, there. So, see, there I don't. I don't even get high in the Google search rankings. But if you're actually looking, <laughs> but if you're actually looking for me, yeah. like say you, you want to do business or. You know, you're considering, like, hanging with me or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that stuff, and it's a decision you'll make. Am I going to associate with this guy? And by the way, I found that as I associated with Jesus Christ, fewer and fewer people would associate with me. And I and I grew up used to being a popular. I know it doesn't seem right because, you know, it's been all these years. But I used to be a pretty popular guy. I would win the elections, you know, won them all. Mm. But... uh those things which I counted gain, I now count loss because some things you just decide to let go. You know this. You've been a Christian now for 13, 14 years, 12 years? What is it? Time flies. I was going to say 12. Oh, four. Almost 13. Yeah. So you know now that the road less traveled here, the road of identification with Jesus Christ and his people, don't bring it down. Yeah. Going to cost you. Yep. You know, it could cost you a woman. It could cost you your career. Right? Well, I, just, money. I look at the. Cost you a high place in society. I look at the martyrs and the, the men like Moses and I think, man, I haven't suffered enough. Well. <laughs> Yeah, well, do you well, ever do that? I mean, uh, you know, compare, yeah, thought that comparing before, yourself is not wise to others, but yeah, I've thought and that. Yeah, here are examples, and man, I mean, look what. Well, maybe, maybe those some of that could be opportunity lost. Yeah, you know, I, I, who am I to say? Right. Um, 
the older I get, the more I realize that, you know, Paul probably didn't live as long as I have. You know, Lord Jesus lived half my age. Um, you, you read of other, you know, prominent people and you find out that they checked out way before this. Mm. And some of them, uh, you know, you, know, you, you go further along in history and you find guys like um, Tyndale. I mean, the guy who turned out an English Bible. I mean, he suffered terribly, terribly, mm. you know, and, and, and other, and, and those are people we know and respect because they've got a history and stuff. But what about all those believers you never got to right. hear of because most of them are unknown. Yeah. Because they were treated so badly. You didn't even know where or who they were buried underground and left there. You know, nobody knows even who they are These in, yeah. the, in the Inquisition, for example. The the brothers and sisters who are just slaughtered in Sudan uh, because they, they believe in Jesus Christ and they have a Muslim background, they're beheaded right at their baptism. You know, the baptismal waters are filled with blood. You don't know who they are. You've never – you see these guys hang. You know, they've been hung up on crosses. And, mm-hmm. they, ha- and they never have a name. They never, they never say, here's this such and such. He never has a name. It's just this whole range of de- disfigured, gnarled bodies. And they say, well, they were Christians. They don't even know. Who or what they believe in? They had nothing to say. They have no legacy of any kind other than this disfigurement. Mm. And you think, well, I've suffered for Christ, right? But it can happen in a second, in a moment, you know, just like it did for Stephen. That's you know? true. So I never go there to say, "Have I suffered?" I'm not. You know, I don't ask the Lord for sufferings or right. anything else. But, I don't either. Um, uh, I I worry. That whatever comes along, that I'll be faithful. I I don't I don't count myself faithful, you know. And it wouldn't matter if I did or not. But yeah. you know, you're not the guy to count you or me faithful. I'm not the guy to count me or you faithful. The one who counts as faithful is the Lord. But we really have the opportunity to fail in all kinds of small ways. And if you're failing a thousand. Or a hundred thousand small ways, uh, you know, you need the grace of God. If if some large thing ever came along, yeah. I suppose these guys that get beheaded or whatever, they just decide they're going to get baptized, for example, and profess the name of Jesus Christ. They probably realize that they'll be hated, but do they think their heads are going to get chopped off that moment? I, I don't know. Right? How they face that, I would never imagine. You lay your life down. You gain it to life eternal. So let's talk about the salvation of it, like the salvation of the soul. What does it mean? Yeah, well, see, that's it. See, the soul, the life can't be saved by human endeavor and by anything in this world. The life is is really lost already. You know, you you start out with a lost life, hmm. and um, you, your your life's going to be. This is this is the stuff of Job. This is the the, the these are the plaintive cries of uh, you know. People who recognize yeah. that without God and eternal life, there's really what a all is vanity and a chase after wind. Life is but a, you know, it's a shadow, uh, as the scripture says. Right. Shakespeare stole life's but a walking shadow. When you talk about life as your time, isn't it? It's not really, you can't save it here. The more you spend it, like it gets you spend spent. exactly. And how you spend it. How do you it. spend it, whether or not that 
abides into the next age is whether or not it was Laid saved down or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exa- you're exactly right. And so that is what the salvation of the soul is. It's the laying down. It is the way of the cross. That is how the life is saved. Uh, how the life is lost, a billion ways. Right. A billion ways. Just do whatever everybody tells you to do. And you lose your life. Is that, and that's why Peter says that you find that at the end of your faith, not in the middle or in the beginning. Because no, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the end of your faith that's the salvation of your soul. So, so that's why I threw in that, you know, not only is it the way you do it, but it's the, preser- it's the perseverance. Mm-hmm. And, by, of course, this is where, you know, Calvinism fails. They'll say if you're really a Christian, you'll persevere. History is replete with guys who didn't persevere. I mean, there are guys who failed to persevere and then persevered. What do you mean? I mean, they uh, turned. Uh, there, there, there are. Um, I'm trying to remember the bishop's name. Uh, there, in uh, that opposed the pope, and uh, these guys, uh, you know, they cowered it out, and and then later they uh, came back strong. Came back and yeah, came well, back it strong. We're burned to death. It ain't over till it's over. That's correct. It's not over till it's over. Uh, not every – we wouldn't be warned. This wouldn't be a, a warning in Scripture. This wouldn't be a threat. We wouldn't see First Corinthians 3, the suffering of loss, whatever, if perseverance was was a guaranteed thing, if perseverance was somehow proven you're saved. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could say perseverance is proving that you, that you have a chance to save your soul. You could say that. That's not even in the discussion, right? This has to do, am I a child of God if I'm truly a child of God? I don't even know why you use the word truly. If I'm a child of God, I will persevere? No. Right. If, I was, if I'm a child of God, I might persevere. And I hope I persevere. And if I persevere in what God has for me, I can save my soul, yeah. save my life. Well, you might even say you ought to persevere because oh, yeah. of all of the opportunities the lord is with you the entire time right yeah. like and he carries the burden of the load no excuse <laughs> it's really not there's you never know, any he excuse. has begun a good work and you will, will but I, but i also want to come back there and just say you know just just to kind of fill this up because this can be very depressing to people who go like i have no no chance you know maybe i've already i've maybe i've already screwed up so much in my life that's never the case yeah because blamelessness is always possible Blamelessness is always possible. You can get blameless. You can be. You can get blameless. How do you do that? Well, you start out by confessing your sins to God. That never changes. You start out, go to the laver, get washed up, talk to God about your sins the way He sees them. Homo legale. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just. It's justice to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can become blameless before God. So first you become blameless before God. Then how do you become blameless before men? Well, you tell the truth about what you need to tell the truth about. Uh, yea, like the Corinthians did, they cleared themselves, right? He says, oh, what what, vehement, you know, what vengeance. You, you cleared yourself by taking the admonition that was given in 1 Corinthians and dealing with that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scandal accordingly, and they cleared themselves. And that's what blamelessness is. It's a clearing of yourself. So I wish I could remember that archbishop's name, but I can't. But what a clearing he did where he 
you know, offered himself into the fire. So, you know, burn this, burn this hand first. This is where I wrote my retraction. Burn this hand. I don't know this man or the story. I can remember him. But it was, this was during the time of the Inquisition and time of the Reformation, Counter-Reformation, run by the Benedictines and the Jesuits. And I can't remember the archbishop's name, the Anglican archbishop. That well, you got an old word fetcher. It's getting old, your word fetcher. My fetcher, yeah, you know, I am. <laughs> my fetcher suffers. History is replete with, you know, failures who succeeded in the faith. And well, we're all failures. Who, if we ever succeed in the faith, yeah. we're all failures who succeed in the faith. You know, a successful Christian life is not lapping the competition. It's just leaning forward and breaking the tape and winning by a nose. I'd be happy with that. <laughs>